welcome to the Wash Talk podcast series from IRC. My name is Andy Narricott and this is the podcast where we open up the discussion on what the wash sector needs to do to achieve the sustainable development goals. Thanks for spending some time with us today. Now let's get started. Washing schools is a significant part of the SDGs for WASH, and it's something IRC has been involved with for a long time, mainly with partners such as UNICEF and KUSA, and now with Simavi and Aqua for All on the Wash and Learn project. There's a huge body of knowledge on the Wash and Learn website, so make sure you check that out at washinschools.info and IRC are encouraging all organisations to share their learning so it becomes the one-stop shop for Wash in Schools resources. Again, that's washinschools.info. Excited to get into this Wash in Schools episode with you with some really deep knowledge from people who are at the forefront of the latest in sustainability for Wash in Schools. But before we dive in, make sure you head over to ircwash.org forward slash wash talk and check out some associated resources with this episode. So I hope you enjoy it. Let's jump in. Hello, everyone. Today I'm talking with Linda Lillian and Machtold Audenhausen about washing schools and particularly how the sector can contribute towards the sustainable development goals related to washing schools. So Linda first. Linda is with Samavi, Uganda, an international NGO working towards basic health for all and concentrating significant efforts towards WASH. They're leading a three-year WASH in schools program called WASH and Learn with six local partners in Kenya, Tanzania and Uganda. Now Lillian is a knowledge and management and learning specialist with Samavi. She has a passion for applying sustainability tools to community and school WASH interventions and also a passionate about uh, menstrual hygiene management as well. So welcome, Linda. Hi, everyone. Um, glad to be sharing today. Brilliant. Well, welcome, Linda. That's uh, fantastic. And Magtod uh, leads Football for Water on behalf of Aqua for All. Football for Water draws on the passion for football to drive positive behaviour change in schools. And Magtod is a senior programme manager for Aqua for All and leads the Football for Water programme with them. She has a background in business in uh, for development and partnership management. Welcome, Magdalt. Hi, Andy, and hi, Linda. It's great to talk to you both. Fantastic. Well, we've got tons of really deep experience from you both, from both of your programs on washing schools, which is a particularly ch- tricky area of wash, in my experience. So great to get some learnings from you both to share with everyone. But let's talk first about um, about getting the the infrastructure within schools, which I think is important for all the, you know, the, the change to happen. Linda, perhaps we can start with you. Um, in your experience, how do you work with schools to ensure that the in- basic infrastructure for schools is available? Well, we've been working with uh, 34 schools and, um, and, and, we've, and in those schools we've constructed, that's the hardware component, but... Uh, it's uh, it's more of it's I would say it's fifty fifty because the school contributes the community contributes, and then um, the project or the program that's wash and learn that's Simavi, uh, Aqua for All and uh, what the Waterloo Foundation uh, the, the, the 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 funding which is given is then also contributed. So you find that the schools 
uh, make an input and we have them doing some, uh, the parents actually come in and sometimes do the part of the construction in terms of digging. And so there are, there are different kinds of ways in which the construction is done of the facilities uh, in kind and also in cash. And it's a joint venture, but at the end of the day, we have the schools having uh, the toilet facilities as well as water facilities. Hmm. And does any, um, so you have to rehabilitate water resources or are they always, uh, you know, in, they're always there or is that, how do you get the water resource uh, <laughs> online? Well, among the schools we've uh, worked with, some had water sources that had broken down. But uh, what happened was through the cost recovery planning and the resources that were gained during the program, some of the schools were able to repair the resources that they had, especially the water resources. So you find maybe a school had a water source which had been constructed probably by water aid or World Vision sometime back and nothing had been done about it. But through the program and uh, learning more about how to the school could generate income for operation and maintenance, we have schools like in Sonja, Chamjundo, where we find they have rehabilitated some of the facilities that had already existed. Otherwise, most of them were waiting probably for government to come in or probably maybe the, the NGO which had uh, given the facilities to come back. And that's not possible because once a project is done, it, it's rare that they do come back. So now it's in, in that way, schools have been able to rehabilitate. Brilliant. So you've 50-50 with schools and if the schools can't afford it, which many of them can't, then you help them with income generating activities. Um, Magtod, is it the same experience with you or anything to add? Yeah, it's it's more or less similar uh, in the football for water program. Um, and like Linda said, you start with what the, what the schools can do themselves and what the school management and the local government can contribute because only then you can have the um, the commitment of the local stakeholders to uh, to continue to maintain it. But the thing is, what I would like to add is um, uh, when you see the uh, establish the, the wash infrastructure in schools it's it's mostly about the design if it's uh, child proof it's is it safe is it is it easy to clean and if the design is good then you can see if you can rehabilitate uh, rehabilitate um, like the toilet facilities or um, but the, the the key is that this design is um, appropriate for a school surrounding mm. So that's what we check first. And let me, if you allow me, give give you one example. Please, yeah. Many of the schools um, want the newest of the newest design. So they want a flush toilet or water closet. But most of the schools have difficulty in, um, in financing the water bills. So a flush toilet adds to this water bill. So we see uh, many of the schools having very beautiful water toilets but uh, they are often closed because they cannot afford the water bill. So we try to advise them on an appropriate design that is that is easily to uh, maintain, that's affordable for the schools, but that's also safe for the children. Hmm. Yeah, I can imagine, but people, you know, they, they want the best for their children, so they aspire to have the best, but then you've got this difficulty with, um, you know, taking on quite a 
operation and maintenance liability. So can I just ask about designs, though? I mean, do you pull on national standards uh, if they exist or some other international uh, design standards for washings, uh, for, you know, infrastructure in schools? Um, yes, of course. The international standards are key. And sometimes there are even more strict national standards that, uh, that we have to abide to. So that, that's the one we start with. The, the the national and international standards are are there, yeah. And, and every school meets these standards uh, when we hand them over, when we hand the facilities back over to the schools. Great. So you mentioned you know, operation and maintenance. So you get the commitment to maintain it, and that's absolutely key because we've all seen toilets in disrepair. And you're thinking, well, why? You know, if we're building new toilets, isn't it just going to go the same way? So how can you get schools out of that disrepair? trap i mean can you is it all about training school staff on proper o&m uh, or how, how do you ensure it gets sustained uh, MacDelt? um yeah how we can get schools out of the disrepair trap it's it's one thing to train them to build their capacities like you said but it's another thing you have to have the motivated um, uh, team um, because you can train them quite a lot but if they they don't feel they are motivated enough to uh, to actually repair the facilities um, because they have other pressing issues. Then it's a challenge. So I think motivation or you just have the right team on board in the school. Uh, it's not only the the school managers but but also the parents and um, and, and other stakeholders around it that have uh, and even the children they can contribute on um, in, in maintaining the facilities in good order. Um, but beyond that, um, yeah, we see that most of the schools can can cover up to twenty five or fifty percent of the financing needed to cover the cost for O&M. So it's quite a challenge. It's an eminent lack of resources. The capitation grants that schools get they are very very limited. So we train school staff, we train the parents and the management to do more than the uh, operation and maintenance planning. And it's like uh, uh, Linda just said, uh, we do the cost recovery activities. Uh, and that is um, challenging the key stakeholders around the school to find creative solutions to raise more income. Um, and that, that can be very creative. I, I visited one school in um, Amina, um, Cape Coast in Ghana, the Bronje Bima School. Uh, and the headmistress was really motivated to take care of all the facilities very well. But uh, she had limited resources and, and she was not into driving extra resources through activities because, yeah, she tried that and it was really challenged. But she saw that um, the facilities fell in disrepair, especially because the community used the facilities as well. So she, she went to the PTA, the Parent Teacher Association, and talked to them in finding a solution. And they said, you should allow the community to, to come and use the football and wash facilities after school hours. And maybe then in return, they can support you in maintaining the facilities. So now they had very many talks and now the community takes care of the trash. They, they, they clean out the, uh, the facilities and they support the school in emptying the, the pit latrines and the septic tanks, etc. So it's you can always find creative ways in, in which you can tackle these um, financial constraints. Mm. And I think, you know, you raise a good point there because it is not just the leadership of the school, but it's the parents as well, it's the children, it's the community. All of those, the leadership 
come and goes, children come and go, um, but parents and community kind of stay constant. So I suppose you've got something there that, uh, you know, you don't have to really come back and um, and start all over again, which is just not feasible. Linda, is it, uh, have you got anything to add to that about uh, ensuring that uh, O&M is, is well taken care of? Yeah, like uh, Matt Zelt has said, um, we look at having creative ways, creative ways of uh, doing things, especially through the cost recovery planning approach, where we are looking at these people not as uh, beneficiaries, but as stakeholders. And you find that uh, every country may have its policies. For instance, in Tanzania, they will not, the government will not allow parents to contribute whether they want it or not. We've had cases where parents have contributed and a letter comes in the next day from the government and says, please give back the money. <laughs> so um, you, you really have to, to come up uh, with ways because they know they are stakeholders and they have planned towards operation and maintenance. So they come up with a context-specific kind of, um, of income-generating um, means, for instance, some schools have taken to having secretarial services. Other schools, since they have electricity, help with the community to charge phones in order to get some income. So they come up with creative ways of being able to generate income. But now uh, the, the the target has been to ensure that that money goes into wash. So one of the things we've been emphasizing is that they do the bookkeeping, but there is a wash vote in every school, and we know that this money is actually uh, targeting wash. If it's generated, let's say, from farming, this percentage goes to wash, and it goes to the wash vote. So there's there's no way they can mix up the money and say there's nothing for operation and maintenance at the end of the day. And then there's been also the issue of transferring teachers, transferring head teachers, and which has often... Uh, messed it all up because you think you've empowered people uh, people with the necessary knowledge and skills in operation and maintenance, then they are taken away. So what we've been doing is to ensure there is an all-round approach where everyone in the school is involved. Uh, they all come together and discuss it. This uh, the com- uh, community leaders, the parents, and all the teachers. Everyone is involved and at least has an idea. So that even if the head teacher goes. The next one who's brought is oriented. So uh, that's why we've been able to cover up the gap. And then also the schools have been um, empowered with skills, especially the school management, to lobby, to lobby local governments to be able to come in and assist. So they continuously write letters to local government, reminders. Uh, they, they use the local leaders, uh, opinion leaders, to be able to advocate for funds to be located to the schools and then there's also the private public partnerships which some schools have taken up so uh, like in the case of Tanzania we have a, a school which has which which is now working closely with the local miners gold miners and they're helping them actually construct even the toilets for the teachers so that way we've been able to come up with a strategy to avoid this uh, trap as you put it mm. Brilliant. Well, that sounds sounds uh, very comprehensive. I love that empowering lobbying skills uh, for for local leadership. Um, 
I suppose then that the infrastructure and the OEM, O&M we've discussed, um, how about behavior change? How to ensure that kids are adopting the right behaviors? Um, it's a little bit more involved, right? So can you tell us uh, from your experience how this has been? Perhaps, Magdal, you can tell us first. Yeah, um, let me make a bridge between what Lillian just said and this topic, because we are we are with our program Football for Water all about the behavior change of children. But like she was illustrating, it's also about the behavior change of the key stakeholders, of the boundary partners. That is absolute key to make this a success. I think comparing to to what we do with the kids, that's that's kid play. <laughs> it's very easy to to do the behavior change. With the children, it's even harder to do it with the key uh, stakeholders. But um, I think, like Lilna said, we are on the right track, and we see very, very good um, commitment from the key stakeholders. So to to continue to the children, um, what we try to do is football for water. We bring in the football, and maybe that sounds like a strange element in a washing schools approach. But we bring in the football just to teach the, the PE teachers, the physical education teachers and the other teachers better ways of training, by better ways of combining academic learning about hygiene and health uh, with play. Because we see that when you combine learning and play, learning with fun and, and the discipline of sports, then you have better memory retention and better uh, ways of uh, establishing uh, new habits, uh, new routines by by adding the sports element. So what we do, uh, we first try to um, um, have the best wash facilities in the schools, the hand wash facilities, the toilets, the, the clean water sources. And then we come in with life skills training uh, through world coaches. Every school has uh, one or two world coaches that are trained in improving sports activities in schools especially football and um, they are also trained in bringing the hygiene and health behavior change um, uh, in, the, in the school so they do exercises with a ball like math exercises with ball trying to uh, to be able to do your math exercise with a ball is when you when you throw a ball you say uh, one plus one is two and if you don't uh, catch the ball, then you have a germ and you have to wash your hands with soap and water and then you can join uh, the circle again and play with the, with the other children again. So we, we have all kinds of these, uh, fun exercises that we use to um, uh, focus on the behavior change uh, with the children and yeah, you just have to see the smiling faces. It's, mm. um, it's a success. Fantastic. I love that combination. Uh, you mentioned the hand-washing facilities there. I mean, what, I'd love to just talk about this briefly. Uh, and, and maybe, Linda, you can comment on this. Uh, soap is what in the core indicator of SDGs. It re- requires all hand-washing facilities to have soap and water available. But it's so difficult, right? Because in schools, soap gets stolen or there's never any funds to buy soap. Um, so how do you overcome these challenges, Linda? Well, um, one of the things we've uh, found resourceful is uh, using the liquid soap, and it's easy to train. Uh, It's easy to train people to be able to come to make it, and uh, the liquid soap, uh, from the Ugandan experience, the community clusters 
because we use community clusters around the school. Uh, it's one of the mechanisms we've come up with to ensure that CLTS doesn't backslide. So, but these clusters are trained in making liquid soap and they're able to supply the schools. And in Tanzania, TDFT is working with the, the village savings and loans associations who are mainly mothers. So they also make the liquid soap and the supply to, to the schools. But one of the things we also intend to do is to, to train the schools. Some schools in Uganda have been trained on how to make liquid soap. That way, because the, it's the bus soap which is normally easily stolen, but the liquid soap, what is normally done is they mix a little bit, or in most cases, Omo, the powder. The powder soap is mixed a little bit in the in the water for hand washing, so that way they they do not have to come and just pick the, bus, uh, the, the, the tablet and take it away. It's already mixed and people wash their hands. Uh, that has been the mechanism. But to make it more sustainable, we've been looking towards ensuring that we expand the training of liquid soap making. Mm. Brilliant. I love the another creative way. Um, it looks like we're out of time. We've just been, we've got so much more to cover and we haven't really scratched the surface, but uh, thank you very much, both of you for contributing to this discussion on washing schools. It's really important, very challenging area of wash and uh, appreciate your, both your respective work. So thank you, Linda. You're welcome. And MacDold, thank you. Thank you. And that was Linda Lillian and Machtelt Audenheisen. Uh, thanks to them both for speaking to us on the Wash Talk podcast. If you liked it, it would be great if you shared it. We need to get these resources out to as many practitioners as possible. So the web address is ircwash.org forward slash washtalk. And the website for Wash in Schools is washinschools.info. So don't miss the next episode in a few weeks, but... Until then, thanks for listening. Have a great couple of weeks.